we can um, motivate people all day long. We can try to tell them like you should do this, you should do that. But uh, a behavior first approach or a, an approach where behavior change first is is, is emphasized or, or where that is recognized that this can happen um, would be um, emphasizing or focusing a lot on making behavior change as easy as possible. And so that means having a lot of options in our society. So the more options we have, the better they are, the cheaper these products are, the less effort is required. And in the end, we don't want people to have to put in a lot of effort, moral effort or otherwise, because most people are not going to put in that effort. Welcome to Strength Through Compassion Podcast. What is good, guys, and welcome for the very first time to Strength to Compassion podcast. My name is JP Singer, and I'm your host. Yes, I know the name of the podcast has changed, and the name of myself has changed. It's kind of like my little pen name, stage name, whatever you want to call it. Since I'm switching away from the Vegan Manly Man, which is more of a memorable, interesting name, I figured Jake is kind of boring, so I'm going to do JP. My middle initial is P, so I could have gone by JP my whole life, and I only go by JP at the brewery that I work at. So I figured why not bring it into the rest of my life and make a name that's a little bit more memorable than Jake since I'm no longer going by the vegan manly man. So welcome back to the show guys if you're a returning listener and if you're listening for the first time welcome this is the first episode off of the rebrand i told you guys last week that i was changing the show up to include more self-growth topics include more guests who are not necessarily vegan and just open up the show for more opportunities to grow and to teach you guys things trust me it's hard to reach out to all the amazing vegans out there um I've contacted a lot and I've had a bunch on the show, but I'm starting to run out of guests. So not only that, but again, I want to really focus on that self-growth aspect because I do believe that being vegan is not enough. We have to be good people. We have to be kind. We have to be compassionate. We have to do better by ourselves to become better activists or advocates for whatever it may be, including being vegan. So if we can focus on growing ourselves to become better, we can do better by the vegan movement. We can do better by um, equal rights for uh, oppressed groups, etc. things like that. So you guys know what I'm talking about. If you want to go more into depth about why I made the switch, listen to my episode last week. Um, guys, this show is brought to you by none other than VCoco, an online vegan cooking school that takes you around the world to learn from native professional chefs. From raw food to Thai, Italian, cheese making, and so many more, VCoco is an online hub with access to more than 200 lectures, downloadable course books, and a wealth of culinary knowledge, all from the comfort of your home. Not to mention, they are always updating with new courses from countries around the world to truly give you a diverse arsenal of tool to take your culinary game to the next level. They actually just dropped the vegan Italian course, which I'm super excited to dive into because I love Italian food. I have Italian heritage and I grew up on pasta. I'm super excited for that. So trust me guys, when I first went vegan, I had no idea what I was doing and I had to learn the hard way over years of practice to start making awesome vegan dishes. Don't make the same mistake that I did. VCoco takes the guessing game out of vegan cooking and teaches you not only the how, but the why for international culinary techniques from native chefs. I highly recommend joining the monthly membership at only $25 a month. You get access to all the courses, a private Facebook group, a course certificate, and one new course a month. Plus, you can try it out for 14 days free and cancel anytime. If you guys want to take your vegan cooking to the next level, go to vcoco.com slash Jake. That is all lowercase, vcoco, V-E-E-C-O-C-O. Or you can use my code Jake10 at checkout for an extra 10% off. I will also have a link to that in the show notes for this episode. So be sure to check out VCoco. Uh, also, don't forget, guys, you can leave me a rating and review if you are an Apple user. Just go to the show notes again and click on the link that says leave a review here. It helps the show out tremendously, and I appreciate you guys who have already done that. And if you haven't, it takes 20 seconds out of your day. Leave me five stars if you think I deserve that. And yeah, helps uh, helps you help me share the message of love, compassion, and peace for all beings. Don't know where I was going with that. Help you, help me, help you, help the world, help everyone, help everyone, basically. Anyway, enough for the housekeeping, guys. Uh, on today's show, I have 
an amazing guest. He is an author of one of my favorite books, How to Create a Vegan World, A Pragmatic Approach. He's been vegan for over 20 years, um, which is incredible. That's that's rare uh, since the, the mainstream vegan movement is kind of in its early stages. He's been involved with uh, multiple organizations uh, around the world to help bring veganism not only to people, but to governments and changing policy and so many amazing things. He is an incredible speaker. Um, he has awesome videos online that you can watch. He just has an amazing approach and view to vegan activism. And uh, yeah, his name is Tobias Leanart. And I'm pretty much going to leave it at that. I'll let you guys uh, dive in deep here into the episode. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Tobias. Um, and at the end of it, if you like what he has to say, go check out his book, How to Create a Vegan World, A Pragmatic Approach. It's a green cover. has like a little earth drawing on it. Um, you won't regret it. Definitely highly, highly Highly recommended. All right, guys, enjoy this interview with Tobias, and I will see you on the other side. Tobias Leonard, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for being here. I, I really appreciate you coming on to share your insights. Thank you for having me. So I got to say, just first and foremost, um, your book, How to Create a Vegan World, is is something that I feel like has really helped me in my vegan advocacy and just learning how to communicate better with with people from all walks of life. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you on because I feel like that book has not only changed the way that I view, you know, vegan activism, but I know it's, it's changed for a lot of other people as well. So um, I just wanted to get out, get that out there, man. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad you find it useful. Yeah, absolutely. So you're from Belgium, right? Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I just, that's why I love doing the podcast. I get to connect with people from all over the world. Um, you know, it's sometimes it makes it a little difficult on the, the different time zones trying to pick a good time to, you know, do the interviews, but uh, def, definitely a cool experience. So do you travel around a lot um, when it comes to, because I know you're involved with, with a few organizations. Are those pretty local to, to Belgium or Europe, or do you travel the world a lot? Book. Uh, I travel also for SIVA, uh, which is the Center for Effective Vegan Advocacy, which um, where Melanie Joy and I uh, give trainings for uh advocates for animal advocates for vegan advocates and we give trainings about communication and strategy and then also travel or represent um proveg proveg international which is another organization that i'm involved in as a co-founder so yeah all in all there's a lot of um yeah traveling i'd say mainly in europe but also i mean we've been everywhere we've been in in, in all continents um from uh, south america to south africa to taiwan um yeah a bit everywhere wow Wow, that's pretty amazing. Was that something that you wanted to do when you were, uh, I don't know, younger? Did you aspire to, to want to travel the world? Um, not particularly. I have mixed feelings about traveling. I mean, just for for <laughs> the pollution that you cause, but also sure. for like every time I, I leave my house and my girlfriend and my my animals, like our, our, our dogs especially, it's always hard to to, to, uh, to kick off and to to go away. Once I'm there, it's really fine. It's very rewarding, and it's also like very great to wherever I go to meet like really, uh, really great people who want the best for the animals and who commit and who dedicate a part of their life to making things better for animals. I, I meet groups, entire groups like that all the time, and that's really a heartwarming experience every time. Yeah, I guess it is kind of a mixed a mixed bag there. Uh, yeah, yeah we, we never really think about the the pollution from traveling, you know, especially on planes. Um, I guess well, maybe some vegans are more more aware of it or environmentalists. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a trade off there because you're getting to see so many amazing, beautiful parts of the world, and like you said, connect with people who are, you know, invested in the same things that you are. But at the same time, it is a very um, and there's like a heavy tax on it, which is the the price of you know the environmental destruction. So, um, I have hopefully an impact for the good. Um, so I'm assuming that my impact during those trips offsets the CO2 mm -hmm. emissions that I'm causing. Yeah. If it wouldn't be, I wouldn't. I'm not sure if I would be doing this, but. Um, 
I mean, that's also why I think that for people who are trying to do something good in the world, for them, it's, I mean, to say that I'm not going to fly anymore is not the best option. I think we should be more pragmatic in that. Um, I think you can say, like, I won't fly for tourism. I won't fly to see this or that city. But if you are somebody who could really have an impact and who could really be meaningful for uh, or whose presence on the spot and on the ground could really be meaningful, um, then I wouldn't say like <laughs> that it's a good idea to just um, not travel because of because of the pollution. Yeah. Well, man, that's why I'm a fan of yours because you do take a pragmatic approach, which I think is um, something we can do in a lot of things in life, something that's very effective. So we're going to get into that in a second here. But I want to start with a big question that I do uh, on all my interview podcasts, um, just so that we can kind of get to know what you're about and then deconstruct from there and understand how you got there. What is your mission statement for life? What do you want to achieve here while you're on Earth? farmed animals but, but by extension like you know making things better for all living beings and um i would also say just not to sound too too i don't know holy or whatever um i also try to combine it with with my own happiness and peace of mind and i find that the biggest challenge to like um can you combine having an impact with and being a caring person with being somebody who's who's happy and in peace, uh, you know, like, so those are sometimes they seem to be two different things that go in different directions. And I'm sure there's people who like can combine them, who like have a great impact and care about the world and at the same time are in peace. But at the same time, I wonder like how many people who had a great impact in the past, really people who had like a big influence, how many of them were actually at the same time also happy and in peace. Um, I think that is, that is a really big challenge. Maybe it is not, possible or it's a very rare occurrence um but if you ask for my mission statement i'd say like something like doing the best i can for others and at the same time finding peace of mind for myself yeah that's beautiful man it's kind of you know i mean i agree with that 100 percent. that's that's what i'm trying to do in my life it, it, it can be a really hard balance because you know, at times, if you're working on yourself, you can feel guilty about the cause um, that you're not working on that 100%. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're doing something for others, especially, let's say, in, in the vegan movement, when, when you know, the, there's really no time to spare in the sense that, you know, over 10,000 animals are, are being killed every, you know, few seconds, like, mm -hmm. sometimes it's, it's hard to really focus on yourself. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to be on this earth for you know, 70, 80, 90, maybe a hundred years. And you have to make sure that throughout that life that you're sustaining yourself in a positive way, because, mm -hmm. you know, if you work extremely hard and never give time for yourself, you may do a couple good years of work. Um, but if you're sustaining yourself and, and you're giving back and you're making sure that, that you're happy as well, you could, you could do 20, 30, 40 years of good work, you know? So it's about, it's about finding that balance to, to be sustainable in my opinion. Important. I mean, you want to do it as long as you can, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, sometimes I, sometimes you wonder like, okay, maybe I'm using sustainable sustainability as an excuse now, you know, like I got to watch Netflix because that's sustainable for me, but then yeah. maybe you're watching too much of it or yeah, I find it all very complicated. Uh, it's the same with like spending money. Like, of course you can, you can allow yourself to, to spend money on some nice things to for yourself that you want to have. Um, and you should allow yourself that, but when is it too much? And, and so I think about these things all the time. I don't think there's a, there's any elegant solution to these dilemmas. No, life is very complex, man. That's, I don't I don't think anyone has the perfect answer. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you've been vegan for quite some time. Um, talk about your journey into this lifestyle and maybe, you know, some of the challenges you had to face then that aren't as big of an issue to people going vegan now. Eight, I think. And, um, I, uh, I got into it. Well, I started thinking about animals a lot sooner when I was maybe 12. So I went vegan when I was 21, 22. Um, but I thought about eating meat for a long time before that. And I couldn't, I just couldn't stop eating animals because I loved eating meat so much. So that was, I was one of the people who had uh, a lot of difficulty going vegan or vegetarian at the start. Uh, 
because I was afraid of losing something I really loved. Um, and I know for other people, like for my girlfriend, for instance, she was always trying to like at home, she was trying to like give her food, her meat away to the dog because she didn't want to eat it, but she had to eat it. Her mom, her parents told her, told her to eat it. Um, so it's different for different people. Um, in any case, for me, it was, it was not so um, obvious. Um, but at university, I got into it. I made my thesis about this topic, about the human-animal relationship. I then went to the U.S. to do internships for half a year in animal rights organizations. And when I got back, I started my organization in Belgium, led it for 15 years, uh, had a burnout four years ago, then kind of reinvented myself as somebody who's mainly active on the meta level. So uh, thinking about strategies, helping activists, things like that. And um, yeah, giving trainings, writing this book. Um, so that's where I am uh, at this uh, at this moment. And yeah, if you ask what is what was difficult or more difficult back then than than now, well, well, of course, twenty years ago it was there were way less options. Um, so I remember like like trying to make a vegan a vegan pie or a vegan cake from from the one vegan cookbook that we had, which was, <laughs> um, which was in in black and white without pictures. Wow. Uh, and um, yeah, now there's so many and they look so good, but back then the only one in Dutch was, was like terrible. And this cake came out terrible as well. I mean, um, nobody had experience with, right. with these things. It was like you had to kind of like convince yourself that it was tasty, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, and now we're, we're doing a lot better. And I like that idea that we're making progress in terms of like, I mean, it's cooking and recipes are, are kind of a technology in a sense. And, and if you look at like where we are now with making vegan cakes and desserts and all kinds of things, even even without having all that many new ingredients, we just experimented and we're, yeah. we can do a lot better today. So that, that makes me hopeful that just with these simple things, we can make progress as well with just experiment. Yeah. Well, I think as the numbers grow, you know, you just, like you said, you, just, you have more people experimenting, you have more uh, trained chefs who are getting into the lifestyle and, and applying, you know, proper culinary techniques. Because um, I feel like maybe a, a respectable chef, you know, 20 years ago wouldn't be dabbling in, in vegan food per se. So, you know, we have a lot more people now cooking vegan food. So that's why I hate when everyone says, oh, I tried tofu one time and I hated it. I'm like, well, have you have it cooked properly? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's the bad tofu experience. Yeah. <laughs> So you had a burnout four years ago. Um, yeah. Was that around the time that you decided to um, write How to Create a Vegan World? Was that shortly after? Or, you know, when and when and why did you decide to write your book? Uh, so, so yeah, I, I wrote my book um, after my burnout. I mean, I when I had the burnout, I, I at some point I decided not to go back to my organization, which was a very difficult decision because it was my, my baby, it was my identity. But I, I had to give it up because I didn't feel capable of, of leading it anymore. And um, so when when I was over my burnout, when I was over depression and the clouds cleared, I um, I found that I could still be meaningful as somebody who like used his experience that that I had gathered uh, during fifteen years of activism, dealing with all kind of stakeholders from governments to uh, companies, um, and 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 try to share this experience with other people. And so I started doing that with a blog and then with vegan-strategist.org uh, and then with, uh, with talks. And then eventually I wrote um, the talks that I had developed, I wrote them down in, um, in, in a more extensive strategy in my in my book. You know, the book is uh, about a good two years old now. Okay. Wow. So it's, it's younger than I thought. For some reason, I thought around 2015, but um, I guess a couple, it's 2017, a couple years later. I think. Wow. So, so what exactly, um, quickly, just to go back, what exactly was the organization that you were involved in? Cause you said you did, you know, these, these 15 years of, um, activism, um, with the organization. So what were you doing with that organization? Typical, I mean, yeah, classic vegetarian vegan organization where we uh, educated people, but, but we were always from the beginning, we were um convinced that we had to reach a wider audience than the typical uh vegans and the typical vegan organization reaches and 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 one of that one of the conditions for that was obviously to be pragmatic and to um um to 
well, adapt and, and with an ugly word, maybe compromise when you work together with bigger groups, bigger organizations, governments, etc., where you um, are working with them because exactly you want to have a bigger impact, right? I mean, if you spread your message just by yourself, by standing in the street, by your own websites, by your own email, newsletter, etc., there's only so many people you can reach. But when you're going to work together with local governments or, or national governments or big companies, etc., then uh, your reach becomes a lot wider. But it means that those organizations, those companies, those governments will not automatically do or spread your message in exactly the same way that you would spread it or that you want it to be spread. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, you have to just accept some, some, some places where it will change, where it's not ideal. So that is the difference between basically idealism and, and pragmatism to some extent. So we developed uh, pretty quickly a campaign called Thursday Veggie Day, for instance, which is like Meet This Monday, which is... Um, um, an alternative to the go vegan message where we think we reached more people because the ask is lower, it is easier to do, etc. Um, even while, of course, our, our um, end goal remained a plant-based or a vegan world. Um, but but to, um, to develop another message that was more attainable and more realistic for many people was it was very much a key uh, to um, to what we did and that allowed us to, to work together with many people, many stakeholders. And in the end, we... Um, well, not in the end, since 2005, actually, the organization received um, structural funding from the national government. And I think it's still the only organization, vegan organization in the world, who has achieved that. Um, and that wow. is, I think, because we were able to show that we had a message that was relevant for, for not just the people who loved animals, but for, for everybody, because um, the message of meat reduction is a message of um, better environment, better public health, um, etc., um, so policymakers, decision makers could see that it was relevant and that's why they uh, supported us. And if we had been just a classic animal rights vegan organization, we would never have uh, received that support. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I mean, so so you took everything you learned, um, you know, working with this organization, your 15 years of, of activism, and you kind of boiled it down, um, combining with your talks into this book. Um, what was different? about writing your book and kind of putting it out into the, the vegan community. Um, cause I know that there, at least from a couple of people that I've, I've spoken to, there's definitely some controversy around it. I mean, you even have it kind of advertised on like your Facebook page that the, the vegan, it's like the vegan police favorite book. Um, obviously that's, that's sarcasm. Um, but yeah. It's a blog called the Vegan Police, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is, I mean, not everybody likes it, obviously. Um, but, I mean, generally, I'm, I'm quite happy with the, the effect this book has reached. It has been uh, translated in four languages, and, and there's five more coming. So it will be ten languages in total wow. uh, soon. Uh, and um, I get I get positive reviews from, from uh, really most people. I mean, that doesn't mean that most people are positive about it, but that's at least what I hear. And... Um, uh, I mean, reviews on Amazon and Goodreads are very positive. I get feedback like yours all the time that it changed uh, people's activism, etc. That being said, um, I mean, not everybody agrees because some people believe that um, uh, a pragmatic message where you do not present veganism as a moral obligation or a moral baseline um, is not it's not a good thing to do. It's a betrayal of the rights of animals, um, all that kind of thing. Um, and I pretty much think that um, there's many people who are committed to certain ideas of advocacy, not just committed to a certain goal, which we all are. I mean, all of us are, all vegan activists are in a sense abolitionists, but there's people who also are committed to certain ways of communicating about vegan advocacy. And I always say that, like, there is no, there should not be any fixed method or way of strategy we should just look at what works um i come to conclusions that some people don't like like for instance i conclude that it's not always good to talk about the animals it's not always it's it's um it's not always the best um, entry for uh, every conversation. You know, if you talk to a politician, they will care less about the animals than they will care about global warming or public health. So that's a pragmatic way of dealing with the arguments or the motivations that we have.
but or talk talk in terms of go vegan. I think sometimes the message to reduce can in certain situations be better. But of course, if you believe that we can only talk about go vegan because that's what your ideology or whatever your system of rules dictates, then um, you don't want to use these other approaches and you might even be um, against people who advocate these other approaches. So if people buy the book, they're pretty much going to expect to read about kind of some of the things that you were just mentioning, basically just taking a pragmatic approach to to vegan activism. Maybe talk about a little bit in, in detail some of the things that people might learn from reading your book. Yeah, so um, I mean, I start with, with asking people to be open-minded and um, to not be committed to any particular strategy, but to just um, look at the research and to think about the arguments logically, etc. Um, and then I'll um, I'll give an idea of um, a strategy that I think is helpful uh, as a pragmatic strategy. That's not the only strategy, but that can be a complementary strategy where um, you're pragmatic in different ways. And the first one is is in the ask. So it's not just going vegan, but you can also ask for reduction. Second way to be pragmatic is in terms of um, the arguments that you use. So that's not just, um, you can not just change for animals, but you can also do it for other reasons. And an important part is where I explain how um, in in opposition to what many people think that change always goes in the direction from attitude change to behavior change, people can also first change their behavior and then they change their attitude. So mm. people can start eating vegan meals for whatever reason, to whatever degree, and then their mind opens up and their heart opens up for considering these arguments of the animal rights people because they are less afraid of losing anything because they already know by then that there's good um, alternatives for meat and animal products to be found. Um, and um, yeah. so if you're not that defended any anymore, you can listen much better to uh, the arguments and to the to all the animal rights philosophy, etc. So that's a, a very key part of the book. And then a third part to be third way to be pragmatic is by focusing on our environment. So we can we can um, motivate people all day long. We can try to tell them like you should do this, you should do that. But uh, a behavior first approach or a, an approach where behavior change first is is, is emphasized or, or where that is recognized that this can happen um, would be um, emphasizing or focusing a lot on making behavior change as easy as possible. And so that means having a lot of options in our society. So the more options we have, the, the better they are, the cheaper these products are, the less effort is required. And in the end, we don't want people to have to put in a lot of effort, moral effort or otherwise, because most people are not going to put in that effort. They don't want to make a sacrifice. So we want to make it as easy as possible. I call it making compassion easier, making it easier to put your compassion into practice because the consequences, the sacrifices are not so high anymore because there's no options. And then finally, the fourth way to be climatic is in the definition of uh, veganism. And that's, that's what most people are most critical about in my book um, I mean if there's criticism it's mostly about that um, I would say that we can um, accept a certain variety in the way people practice veganism and we should not focus on that one the final one percent of being vegan um, it is I think uh, I think we overrate um, consistency consistency to be like a hundred percent all the time everywhere I mean I am pretty much like that but if other people are not like that then, um, I mean, I see, I don't see a reason to like not consider them part of Team Vegan. And I think that if we would um, lighten up a bit about, about the definition and about how exactly people have to behave as vegans, that we could attract a lot more vegans. So um, a lot more people to our movement. So that, those are four ways to, uh, to be pragmatic. And then I, I'll talk about how to communicate uh, with people in ways that are enthusing, that are... Um, yeah, that make them enthusiastic to join and that don't turn them off because they feel guilty. Well, man, not everyone agrees with, with your methods here. I mean, I certainly do. Again, I think the book is absolutely fantastic. If anybody is listening, if they're looking to be a more effective communicator, if they're looking to make an impact um, as a vegan advocate, I highly recommend um, checking out Tobias' book, How to Create a Vegan World, A Pragmatic Approach. Um, so, so one thing I want to touch on um, for the fact that some people don't agree with you is that it seems like infighting is a very big and growing issue for the vegan community. Where do you think this discord stems from? And you know, what's maybe the solution? Yeah. 
I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how big the infighting issue is. It looks kind of big when you look at Facebook, um, but, but still sometimes the loudest um, or, yeah, sometimes bad discussions get a lot of, of uh, attention, uh, but that sure. doesn't mean that, that everybody is like that. I mean, certainly not everybody is like that, but um, maybe not the majority even. Uh, but anyway, um, there is definitely infighting. There is a lot of discussions. There is a lot of um, yeah people fighting over definitions and over who is vegan, who is not, and, and what is the right way to approach things and what's not. I think to a certain extent this comes from passion. We're all very passionate about bringing our goal uh, closer. Um, and in the sense that's that's to be commended, of course, that we are so passionate that we want to defend our view, etc. Um but there's also like more typical human dynamics and mechanisms at work. I think, particularly if you're part of an ideology that uh, and part of a group, there's um, there's group thinking, there is tribalism. I think to some extent, like you belong to a certain group, and that group dictates or or has rules about how to think, how to act. And um, well, I'm a person who does not necessarily. Um, follow those rules i like to really think for myself really think things over really not believe that the thinking has been done for us that it's that it's finished because then you have dogma um but many other people are are very much following um those rules and 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 then they see somebody deviating from the rules and they get um they can get angry. Um, what also may be at play is like what we call identity threat. So if there's, um, uh, if you're a vegan and there's another person who says he's vegan or she's vegan and, and she's not vegan in the same way that you are, uh, one may experience this as a threat to one's own identity, to one's own ideology, etc., one's own personality. Um, uh, so that is that is something that may be at play. There's, there's different kinds of things I think that can explain. Um, this is fighting and there's also of course the, the fact that we lack research and we can't necessarily all, always point out what is the best way to act to advocate um, even though even if we would know what the best way is people would still probably um, fight because they have their ideologies and they have their uh, ways of doing things uh, basically what I would say is, is I mean to 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 kind of like counter this infighting or to make sure it um, it happens less is, is an idea that I call slow opinion um, that I like to spread. Is, the idea is like to, to just um, take a step back and to think about things before you have an opinion and before you condemn mm. people or you condemn ideas and to, uh, to say to yourself like, look, have I really thought about this thoroughly? Have I... Um, Follow about all the aspects. Do I have all the information? Um, am I missing certain information? And if you do that, um, if you become a bit less convinced of your own opinion, uh, then it's a lot more difficult to fight with people and to condemn people. Um, if you think that they might be right and that you might be wrong, if you can have that reflection, um, it becomes so much easier to, to get along with other people. Yeah, easier said than done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> takes a lot of work. I mean, I agree, I agree with you. Um, you know, it takes a lot of self-work, I think, to be in a, even in a position to, to question yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean that in itself is kind of an act of rebellion. Most people, I think, um, kind of just, I mean, they have their beliefs, but kind of unconsciously just, um, you know, self-assure themselves, whether it's being in an echo chamber mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. So just the sheer act of questioning yourself is kind of an act of rebellion. So if you can get to that, if you can get to that step, then, then that's great. And then if you can take it one step further, like you said, and kind of just, um, show that when you're talking with other people, then, well, yeah, that, that would make the world a much better place. But yeah, like I said, easier said than yeah. done, but you know, I, I agree with you. And I think that, like you said, you, you touched on one thing that's, uh, I tell people a lot, you know, people say, non-vegans who are speaking with me, why are vegans so angry? Why are they so mm -hmm. aggressive? I said, you know, to you, it seems that way. I understand that it's passion. The way that they deliver the message mm -hmm. uh, certainly can come across in, in anger and aggression, but the the root of it, I believe, like you said, is passion. We're, we're so, you know, yeah. when you learn all this information, it's, it's very overwhelming. And, and so you want to do whatever in your power to to stop it. 
And, and so we do that in a very strong way because we are so passionate about this and we take on, you know, especially from an ethical perspective, we take on that pain as our own. Um, and nobody wants to be in pain. So we do whatever we can to, to ease that pain. Yeah. And, and it's also very understandable and natural to be angry about the things that we're all seeing. I mean, we are people whose, whose eyes have, have opened to these things and other people ignore them. Other people look away. We are looking at these things uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, almost we're thinking about the, these horrors and, and we're being confronted with it. And then you see all these other people looking away, being indifferent. All these people not just being indifferent, but actively participating. And it's very natural to, to get angry. But then again, still you have to ask the question... Um, how useful is my anger, or at least how useful is it to project right. my anger onto other people? And that's also another aspect of being pragmatic. Like, like, is it good to vent your feelings? Is that the end game? Is that the bottom line? Um, or are you going to look for for results? And and so I'm also mm. I'm trying always to ask the question like, um, does what I do uh, result in, in in something good for the animals? Does it help them? And of course, it's it's not easy to always ask that question. And in none of our I mean, nobody of us has, has entirely pure motivations. We're all human. We have uh, our human egos and we'll do things for, for different reasons. But um, it's good to at least ask the question um, so that we can be um, into this as much as we can for, for, the, for the good reasons. Yeah, that's a super important question to ask. Yeah, is, am, am I, is, is what I'm doing going to get me results or am I doing it to satisfy my own ego? Mm-hmm. A lot of the time it's, it's the latter we want to get on and say, I'm right, you're wrong, but that might not be what we need to do. We might have to, at times, um, you know, n- not not try to say that we're right. We may at times have to tell somebody that they're right, when even if we don't believe it, if it means getting the results, if it means connecting with them on a certain level so that they will understand or listen to our message. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing is just is being in a position for people to even listen to our message because a lot of the time, especially on Facebook, people are not arguing to say, oh, I wonder what this person has to say. They're arguing to say, I'm right, you're wrong. There's, there's very rarely any good communication on Facebook. So I think being vegan, you have to a lot of times be the bigger man and do things that do not feel good um, to ultimately create results that's going to get you what you want, which is, you know, eliminating the suffering of animals, the environmental destruction, all these other things that come along with the, the vegan lifestyle. Yeah. And I would, I would, I agree. And I would qualify that by saying like what you think does not feel good. It might not feel good in the beginning, but once you like train yourself a bit and once you get used to like being bigger than yourself, maybe bigger than your ego, that that paradoxically starts to feel good in itself. Like when you, when you can be really look back, when you can look back with satisfaction on the conversation you had, and you can say like, I was really listening and really open, and I wasn't trying to convince this person, and I was really um, respecting them as a human being, etc. Um, that may not be easy at the be- in the beginning, and you just want to like spout all your arguments, etc., and want to call them names. Uh, that feels better. But down the road, um, I think when you can look back like that and, and, and see how you've progressed and grown in, in, in the way you communicate, um, that is very rewarding in itself as well. Yeah, agreed. Very, very, very powerful. Do you believe there is a lack of human compassion uh, in the vegan movement? Um, it's, it's hard to generalize. I mean, I think certainly, yes, um, we sometimes lose sight of the humans behind the animal suffering. And that's, that's maybe a controversial thing to say, because of course it's the animals suffering the most and compared to, um, the, to what the animals are going through, the, the human suffering involved is, 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 is a lot smaller, I think, but still, um, the humans suffering don't experience like that that the the person suffering or the being suffering through them their suffering is the most important thing so um i think uh we could do well or we would do well by um considering also um yeah the effects we have on other people and that includes not just normal meat eaters but also uh, people who are actually involved in the meat industry farmers etc um we don't like animal farmers um but there is no reason to think that that they're all 
bad people and sadists and and that they there's also no reason to think that everybody has an immediate way out some people have to take care of their family and that that's this is their income they've invested in it it's not so easy to to um, switch to another solution um so that kind of compassion for the people involved for um and and and, and, and trying to say like i like the saying um there but for the grace of god go i and uh, so so it mm. means like if i mean you can leave god out of the picture but but it's like saying like it could have been me you know like this other person what they're doing this horrible thing that they're doing but for another education and for uh another uh, mindset or genetics other culture other friends i could have been in their place um yeah again if we remember that it's 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 much easier to be tolerant of each other and and that's the start for having uh, productive conversations I think. yeah and i think also when you're talking to people who aren't vegan and maybe don't understand the compassion that you have for animals, showing that you're compassionate for humans is much more relatable. Okay. They can, you know, they can talk to you on a level even just from that and understand, Oh, okay. I understand why this person is, is passionate. You know, he cares about humans. He happens to care about animals as well, which I don't maybe understand quite to that extent, but Mm -hmm. it just gives you kind of that first, um, first common denominator yeah. to be able to talk to people who, who don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. And I think if you take the human aspect out of it, you're removing yourself from what is my belief, the most important factor for change is changing humans. And when you change enough humans, you know, you're, you're going to get that like herd mentality, um, where everyone's going to start to do it. Um, and, and, you know, without the humans changing, we're, we're not going to be able to end these systems. We're not going to be able to end factory farming. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. if, if you solely care about the animals, that's great. But the, the animals aren't, aren't fighting their own war. Yeah. And we have to speak for them. And the people that make that change are the humans. Yeah. I mean, you could put it this way. If you, if you liberated all the animals from their cages tomorrow, um, then the day after they would, those cages would be full again if, if, if humans don't change. So, right. um, yeah, we have to be able to talk to them. We have to be able to um, to change their mind. Though so again, um, changing their mind can actually come after they've already gone vegan or after they've started to eat vegan. So it doesn't necessarily go in, in one direction. Yeah, agreed. And and just to bounce off of that, you know, changing people who aren't vegan and changing their minds. Uh, this is a question that I ask myself a lot. You know, if the world went vegan tomorrow. Would all the angry and aggressive, you know, activists or, or vegans in this movement, would they suddenly fall into, you know, gentle mannerisms and more peaceful communication? Or are they still going to, you know, because it's seeming like, okay, they're, they're getting angry because of how passionate they are and how bad they want to stop, you know, the suffering. So if the suffering stopped, are they going to suddenly become these peaceful people who are communicating with, with other humans? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to, you know, like... I, I've always wondered that. Yeah, probably a lot of them are, are, are going to be uh, happier people when there's no not no longer this animal suffering around and this animal exploitation. Um, but to another extent, it's probably also like like I said, human mechanisms at work. And um, I think to some extent, um, many of us, um, or maybe the default um, attitude is that many of us need kind of an enemy, need to fight something, need to mm. to I mean, want to combat something want to be against something and um maybe if if the enemy disappears they will develop or discover or make fabricate another enemy um maybe that's that's the tribalism that's that's in all of us um there can be other explanations i'm not a psychologist um or historian or whatever but um i think there's 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 things going on that are like universally human and that uh, the, the vegan um, space is just one space that allows people to express these human values or the human these human attitudes and and the same things probably happen in other social justice movements and in other ideological and political movements. Um, I mean, I'm sure that if 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 the world would be vegan tomorrow, then then maybe rather than focus on meat eaters, we could, <laughs> we will start to focus even more on on conservatives or Republicans or, or, or whatever. So I think an enemy will always be, be found. Maybe the question is like, what happens when, when all the enemies are gone? <laughs> when, yeah. when we all well, get along, uh, will we be bored or, or <laughs> what will happen? I, 
I'm not sure if that's meant to happen, <laughs> you know, but no, I mean, that's why I believe so strongly. Anybody who listens to this show regularly or follows me on social media knows that I'm a big advocate of self-growth. You know, I don't believe that being vegan is enough. I, I believe we still need to work on ourselves as humans. Yeah, it's definitely just, not enough. You know, yeah, it's, it's just one aspect. I mean, you can be, you can yeah, easily be an asshole uh, and, and be vegan or you can be, right. yeah, whatever. Right. So it's, it's one aspect. And I, yeah. I mean, I'd rather have a vegan asshole than a meat-eating asshole. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, there's, there's definitely so many other opportunities for, for, for self-growth. But the, the, the nice thing is also that and this is what fascinates me in a way that, that like we can take this, even this this infighting that we do as an opportunity to learn about ourselves and to learn about uh, gathering along and to learn about civil disagreement, uh, I call it. Um, so it is an opportunity um, whenever you, you have different opinions with other people, it is an opportunity to like, um, yeah, develop ways to, to still, still get along and to disagree civilly. Um, so that's maybe the meta level of, of, of what I try to do. It's not just a content level of veganism, but it's also the meta level of, yeah, how do we get along? How do we, um, how can we be agreeable to each other even while disagreeing? Yeah. Yeah, that's it, man. I mean, that's the, that's the question of life. How do we create mm-hmm. a more peaceful planet? Yeah. I mean, the, the answer to me seems simple, but, you know, um, that's coming from my perspective and my experiences and the work that I've done. And, of course, nobody sees the world like I do. Mm-hmm. So even the people who are, that are similar to me. So I understand that this is definitely a um, a big challenge, but it's it's one that I think that we should work on, uh, even if it seems like it's this huge mountain that we have to climb. You know, we got to we got to take the first step. So um you know, that's why I believe veganism is, is a tool. Um, I, I say that be, veganism is a, is a doorway to world peace. Um, I say a doorway because I don't think it's the end all be all. I think sure. that it opens up the door to having more compassionate values that we can extend to humans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we have to apply it. We have to apply it to not just animals, but to, to humans as well. And, and then I do believe that we can make some big steps forward in that way. So I agree. At what point do you believe the scales are going to tip towards veganism in the sense of herd mentality or it being like the cultural norm. And, and when those scales do tip, do you believe, you know, the more aggressive forms of activism might be more effective? Like let's say like a disruption at a restaurant when people go in with signs and, and chant and this and that. Yeah. When do you think that's going to happen? When, like if you ask me in terms of number of years, I'm not sure. I think it can happen within this and one or more decades. Um, but that's just a very rough prediction. I think indeed we need to have like a, a, a moment where, um, or a point where enough people are vegan enough. That doesn't mean like you have all those vegans, but, but maybe enough reducers or people reducing enough so that the norm tips. And I think it's already to some extent in some circles it's tipping, but not generally, certainly not in the world in general. Um, or society in general, so I, I think this is this is a matter of, of time indeed. Um, but it's very hard to predict when it will happen. And as to your question, whether certain forms of aggress- aggressive activism will be more effective, yeah, I do think so. I think that the more um, alternatives that we have, the more people seeing and using those alternatives, the more tolerant there will be towards more direct and more aggressive forms of action. Um, just like probably um, people are more tolerant of, of anti-racist actions um, mm. today than they are uh, than, uh, compared to um, anti-speciesist actions. You know, um, mm. the more people not participating, the more public support you have uh, for this kind of um, actions. And, and I always say, indeed, like like um, the art of activism is a matter of, of doing what your time is ready for. Uh, maybe maybe going a bit beyond that, beyond what it's ready for, but, but not too much. Um, doing something in accordance to your the time or the phase that your movement um, is in. And sometimes I see things being done, like a disruption at a restaurant, where I say, like, oh, um, I don't know about this now. This could be very well effective or normal um, in a couple of decades or, or, or whenever. So, so, yeah, I have to keep the time into account. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, because right now when I see those forms of activism, it, you know, it almost, 
not that I'm disappointed because like I understand. Um, but to me, sometimes I'm almost just like, I don't, I don't want to be associated with that. Like that's not the kind of activist that I am. But at the same time, you know, should the scales tip um, and that does become effective, it wouldn't be out of the question for me to maybe be a part of more direct action, obviously in a peaceful way, still keeping, you know, my, my compassion for humans and, and understanding, but you know, I would be more willing to be a part of direct action. Yeah. You know, does that make me a hypocrite now for, for not wanting to, you know, do it at this point? I don't think so. I think that I'm just looking at it very strategically in the mm-hmm. sense of, I'm not sure if this is going to make one person vegan and turn 50 away, or if this is going to make, you know, 20 vegans and the rest don't care. Like right. I can't say that to me, if it was, if it was me sitting in that restaurant, I feel like I would be turned off. So that's why mm-hmm. at this point I don't do it, but I do think that those are going to be super effective at some point. Right. Yeah. It's also a matter of like how many people are participating. And I think some movements count on uh, enough people at some point participating in these direct actions so that this, the scales tip, but I'm skeptical about having enough of those people at this moment. You know, mm, like, yeah. like if you look at animal rights marches and a march is not something that you have to be like really, I mean, you have to stand there or walk there for, for, for an hour or something, but you don't have to like uber committed to participate. And these marches still only draw 10,000 people at most, you know, and those are the big ones. So you could ask yourself, like, how big is this movement that, that really wants to do something? Um, on the other hand, there's probably a, a sizable number of people who wouldn't mind something done, uh, but who are not the first movers, you know? So, um, I think, uh, yeah, it is a matter of time before before the system tips, uh, but it will very much also go hand in hand with still more and better and cheaper uh, options, uh, alternatives for for uh, animal products. Who do you think is the biggest driver for the vegan movement currently? Who's who's really pushing us forward? Yeah, you could. Um, I mean, you could answer that in different with different kind of responses. Um, you know, like in terms of individuals or groups or segments of the population. I, I, I would say uh, two things. So, first of all, it's the reducers, the, the people who are redu- reducing their um, consumption of animal products and who are choosing alternatives to some degree. Um, they are driving the market. Uh, and they are making it interesting for big companies to put more and more efforts into creating alternatives. I mean, for just the vegans, they wouldn't do it. So that's one thing. And then, and then, yeah, on the other hand, there are the companies creating um, these products. And I think to some extent, um, I mean, I'm wondering, like, is it today, is it advocacy or, or business? So advocacy tries to, like, basically increase demand and business uh, increase supply and argument uh, uh, advocacy works with the arguments and um, business works with the alternatives and i wonder um which of the two these days has the most impact and and 10 years ago i would have said without a doubt it was advocacy but now i'm not i'm not so sure anymore um i think that um proportionally um our, our importance is, is, is shrinking or is, is, well, it's smaller than it used to be compared to all the things that the big companies um, and, and, and the funders behind it, the finance people behind it are doing. I mean, if you look at um, what a company like Beyond Meat, um, which has distributed like maybe 15, uh, 15, 50 billion, 50 million <laughs> burgers by now. Um, like, like what that means. I mean, giving all these people a good vegan taste experience, how important that is compared to like maybe uh, giving them a flyer, you know, like, uh, or making them read a website with uh, some piece about animal rights. Um, I think that's, that's very significant. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with the fact that for the first time, uh, money is a driver for change, that, that people mm. can do these things for money as well as for sustainability or animal rights or, or health reasons, you know, because whether we like it or not, things go where money goes. Um, yeah. And that, that's not ideal, but again, that's that's just being uh, pragmatic, and I don't think we can, we can solve it without that. Yeah, agreed, definitely. I mean, the fact that there are so many options, it's, it's easier now than ever for me to tell someone, oh, hey, you should try vegan, you can go to these 20 restaurants that are in a one mile radius, you know, whereas before it was like, Oh, you need to go to the store and get, um, you know, whatever's available to you at the time, you know, whether it's just a, a block of tofu or, you know, I had these things called Boca burgers. I talk about them all the time. They're just like pretty, pretty disgusting veggie burgers. And now it's, 
you know, I can go to just four fast food restaurants, you know, around my area and, and get a vegan meal if I really wanted to, or I can go to the grocery store and have so many options or I have fully vegan restaurants. So I think, I think definitely having the options available and, and using the convenience factor is, is definitely a huge driver for people who may not want to make the commitment. But I feel like when something is available, when I have option A or option B, they're similarly priced. They have a similar taste. Um, and, and I know that one does good for the environment, for the animals, um, probably better for my health. I think then it's easy to make the choice. I don't think anybody is, I don't think anybody wants to cause suffering to animals, just like these corporations, they're not, you know, let's say Tyson, Tyson is not in the business of, of herding chickens, you know, they're in the business of making money. So I think when you create an alternative option, the, the, the choice is easy and that's, what's going to drive change. Yeah, exactly. So I think that, uh, like you say, the big companies are agnostic as to what what source products they're using, whether it's plant-based or, or animal-based. Um, I mean, if they can make the sausages or whatever from either, it doesn't really matter. They don't care. I mean, they, they're, they're going to do what the public demands or what, what, what demand requires. And um, uh, in, in that sense, they, they can perfectly be our allies. It's a bit, diffi- bit more difficult with the farmers who, uh, for them, it's, I mean, they cannot just say, like, let's switch from cows to plants. Uh, it's, it's harder for them. Um, but um, for for all the other uh, segments of the economy, like, like from uh, distribution to um, to production or production to distribution, rather, um, like restaurants and, and supermarkets, uh, for them it's all the same what they are uh, selling. And and for the consumer in the end too, I mean, I think indeed few people say, say like, I want a dead animal on my plate. I mean, there are some people who say that, but that will change with with uh when the the norms change when the the um, attitude of the masses changes those people will not be able to say that without shame or without guilt <laughs> anymore yeah. either um so yeah i think just giving give them uh something really tasty and that goes together then or, or join that with, with spreading the argument spreading awareness uh etc and then maybe there will be some political instruments making the one more expensive and the other cheaper uh and the one the other ones one is healthier anyway and etc so i think everything is, is basically in place and i would be really surprised if 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 down the road we don't get where we want to get yeah agreed it's just a matter of when mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. uh it's kind of uh, surreal to think that well, especially I went vegan seven years ago, but you obviously have a much, um, you know, broader uh, perspective from, from being vegan in the nineties. Um, but, but thinking that we would be where we are today, did you ever think that we would be here right now? I don't remember what I, what I thought. I think, yeah. Um, I mean, when somebody used to ask me like, will we ever have a vegan world? I was thinking it like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that someday people will stop killing animals. And I was thinking, back then about the next century or the 23rd century or, or whatever, you know, like science, quite distant science fiction. And today I, I actually believe that it's possible that we can get there this century. Um, wow. So, so my, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful and my, I mean, the timeline or time frame for the realization of this dream has, has um, come closer. I think. And hopefully it just keeps getting shorter and shorter. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> What do you think is is one of the biggest things that vegan advocates could all do better? If you could if you could put it on maybe like one or two things, um, just to give some practical advice for anyone listening who wants to be a better advocate, um, you know what what are some things you would say to them? Yeah, one principle I, I describe in my book as uh, Yanya Y A N Y A, uh, which stands for you are not your audience. So this means about this means that like your audience is not necessarily the same as you, and you have to try to be in their shoes. You have to try to imagine what it is like to be them when you're talking to them. Um, and if we do that, if we don't just take ourselves as the measure, measure of things, uh, I think we can be a lot more, a lot more successful. Um, that's one thing. Another thing is to, yeah, to, to think more. I always say like thinking is vegan. Don't just follow the, the rules. Don't follow like what you're I don't know your idol or whatever in the movement says, um, but but actually um, think for yourself. Uh, read widely, um, read different perspectives, 
Um, I have been um, very much like a, a black and white uh, abolitionist in the past. And I, I changed my mind just to be confronted with all kinds of people, reading all kinds of um, books and articles, etc. Thinking about the world, thinking about people outside this movement, communicating with them. So, like, really open your mind and 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 be aware that there is a big chance that being in this movement, you are having some sort of tunnel vision. Um, it is very much possible um, because you get along with a, or, or you're involved with the same people all the time and, and, and you're not talking enough to people outside and you have this these rules, this set of this ideology, this set of um, dictates or whatever. And there's a chance that, um, you know, you used to think I was so, or you think that you were so wrong before you know, when you were eating animals. And then now there's a tendency to think that right now you're so right since you stopped that. And and, that, and then there's a possible consequence that you believe that you don't have to question yourself anymore because now you're right. You changed camps and now you're right. Now you're in the right camp. But still, um, it is important to keep questioning things. Couldn't agree more, man. That was super sound advice. Um, that's That's... Anybody who follows me, you guys know that I, I preach that as well. Constantly evolving, learning, growing. Um, so yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. I want to end here on a more uh, fun question. If you knew the world was ending in one week, what would you do? Well, depends. <laughs> what do you mean with ending in one week? Is that Does that mean like all sentient life will be gone? Sure, or that just, just like, humans yeah, will be gone? Or that... that um, let's just say the entire earth is just consumed by the sun or something like, you know, so you have one week to do, you have one normal week to do whatever you want. Yeah. Just. Yeah. I mean, if it's a matter of like, okay, all sentient life disappears. Um, and especially if it's like in just one, one second and nobody suffers, etc. I would try to live that week very consciously with the people and the beings that I love. And, um, try to make things as comfortable as possible for other people close to me who might not have a comfortable time um, and, and fill that last week also with some some purpose. Um, but um, I mean generally I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, be sad, I think. Um, if it's just a matter of all of us disappearing painlessly, well a lot of suffering would be gone as well then. Um, I would, I would be more concerned if, um, and this is counterintuitive, but if, if just the humans disappeared, uh, because I believe that the humans can still mean something for all kinds of other beings on this planet. Uh, they could, they can mean something for good for them. Uh, yeah. And I think we have evolved up to a certain point where we are doing a lot of damage, but we uh, have also reached a certain point in evolution that no other animal has has reached uh, in terms of our intellect, uh, cultural, spirituality, uh, whatever. And we have the potential in us to become really great beings who can be stewards of, of all kinds of other beings who, who can help really make the universe a better place. Um, and so I would be, I mean, I, I would say like either everything disappears or nothing disappears, but not just humans. <laughs> That was such a selfless and, and philosophical answer, man. I, I've asked this question before and nobody's ever said, oh, I'd go uh, steal a Ferrari and, you know, take a first. <laughs> That's always kind of what I expect. Like, oh, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go skydiving and do this. Can do that? No, I, I do like that answer, man. And I like what you say about helping animals. Cause I watched your video, um, you know, 10 things that I changed mm -hmm. my mind about over 20 years yeah. of, of vegan activism. And one of them was working with animals um, I, I really liked what you said about kind of, you know, not necessarily, you know, making them captive, but, but working with them to provide them with certain things like, like healthcare, you know, because, um, you, you made the point that, that wild animals do still suffer. Um, you know, so I think that there definitely could be that transition, you know, over years, if we move away from, from these animal products to having a different relationship with animals and, and helping them 
live a more comfortable life. So I really like that answer. Yeah, this is a this is a complicated philosophical discussion, but yeah, I, I do think that there's many beings. I mean, we might discover beings on other planets someday. I mean, if we if we were around long enough, and then the question is always like, what if they suffer? What are we going to do with it? Suppose we suffer, on, we we solve our own suffering at some point. We become a society of people who like are really good and and, and have all our shit together, and then we can wonder like, okay, now there's all kind of beings in the universe. Uh, on earth and maybe further away whose suffering we have not caused but who are suffering because of biology because of natural selection because of the way things are in the world do we want to help them as well and this is a far off situation and we, we maybe should take care of or, or the things that we have caused the, the, the suffering that we are causing first of all I'm sure but sure. Uh, I, I just like to to take the long view and and um, and um, I like to read science fiction. <laughs> I think uh, poss- possibly we are still around for many thousands of years and, and who knows what may happen then. Yeah, it would be interesting to see for sure. Tobias, where can people reach you at or follow you? So my blog is uh, veganstrategist.org. Um, so that's where I, I write stuff now and then. My videos are also there and they are on YouTube. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't do much on Twitter. I'm at Tobias Leonard on Twitter. Uh, and there's also a vegan strategist page on Facebook. Perfect, guys. And I will link that in the show notes below if you want to check that out. Uh, any last words for the listeners here? Well, um, I'd say um, I always advise people to find, I mean, people want to help the world, want to change things. I, I advise them to, to find a sweet spot between um, or the cross section between what they love, what they're passionate about, what they're good at, and what has an impact. Awesome. Tobias Leonard, thank you so much for being on the show. Guys, if you have not already, check out his book, How to Create a Vegan World, A Pragmatic Approach. It is simply amazing. Seriously, one of the best books um, that I've read just in general, but not only you know, in the vegan community, just in general. So please check that out. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your insight with the listeners and with me. I learned a lot, so I, I appreciate you being here. Thank you very much for having me and good luck with the podcast. Thank you. Talk soon. Guys, you did it. Welcome to the other side. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for still being here with me. If you enjoyed the content of this show, don't forget to leave me a rating and review on iTunes and share with a family member or a friend, somebody you think would also find value in this content. If you want to stay up to date with me and what I'm doing, head to my website, www.theveganmailyman.com and sign up for my newsletter. That website is soon going to change, but for now you can still go there. Uh, Yeah, that's it. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. I'll see you on the next episode. My name is JP Singer, and this is Strength Through Compassion Podcast.